Second Timothy, and we are finishing up chapter four, and uh, I guess finishing up Second Timothy tonight. Uh, we were almost there last week, but we ran out of time, and so we're going to be finishing that today, and maybe just a little bit of review afterward. I'll save the review until afterward. Uh, but anyway, uh, what we were doing last week, we were uh, looking as Paul there about halfway through, or a third of the way through chapter number four. Uh, he started turning his uh, focus just a little bit. Uh, we know that all through 2 Timothy, uh, Paul has been getting ready for uh, getting ready to lay down his pen for the final time. He's been preparing for uh, closing out this letter to Timothy and knew that he was soon going to be uh, executed for his faith and for the stand that he had taken. And so whenever we come to chapter four, final chapter in the letter, we're going to start getting into his closing remarks. And so chapter four kind of consists of uh, a lot of uh, short, simple instructions or thoughts. And we began the chapter with the charge that he gave to Timothy. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm giving you a responsibility. I'm leaving something in your care because Paul was going to be uh, finishing his job and he needed someone to pass the torch to. That's what I've been comparing this to all along was him kind of passing on the baton at the end of his journey here. And so as we've looked at chapter number four, in uh, verse number six, he said, I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. And he said there was a crown laid up, a crown of righteousness laid up for him. And so what we looked at last week is uh, we saw Paul's confidence and we knew that, um, or he knew, maybe I should say, uh, he knew that he had lived his life in a way that was pleasing unto God, that he had done what God had left for him to do. He had ran run his course and he had finished it. And so with that, he could face death, his imminent departure. He could face all of the issues that he was coming up against with confidence, not confidence in himself. He wasn't self-confident and he wasn't arrogant, but he was confident in God and he was confident in God's word. He said, I have followed the Lord the best of my abilities. I have ran my course that God has laid out for me. I have endured all these things. And so I can face the end with confidence. And we talked a little bit last week about uh, how great of a thing it would be to be able to face death with the, the confidence that Paul had. And for anyone who's in any other religion and any of these works-based systems and different things where they have a hope-so salvation, uh, death is still a scary thing. But for the child of God, we can face death with confidence because uh, we have an assurance of our salvation. Uh, we can uh, stare death in the face, if you will, knowing that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, as Paul said. And so Paul had a confidence uh, not just in what was going to happen whenever uh, he breathed his last breath down here, that he knew that whenever uh, he left this body that he was going to be present with the Lord. But he also had a confidence in where he was going, and he had a confidence for what awaited him whenever he got there. Because he said, there's a crown of righteousness that is awaiting me. He says, all of the, the work and the toil and all the labor that I've done down here, God has kept record of. He isn't 
going to uh, forget about the things that I've done. And instead, he said, I've laid up rewards, just as Christ had said, uh, lay not up treasures for yourself down here on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And Paul says, I've laid up my treasures there, and I have a confidence that God is true to his word, both for my salvation, for the life that I've lived, and for my future that is before me. And so Paul had a confidence and as I said, it wasn't based upon Paul, but it was based upon God, God's leading and God's word and all God's promises. From there, we also saw uh, the condition that Paul was in. Uh, he had been abandoned. He had, uh, it says that uh, uh, several men had forsaken him or had went in different directions and that he was left alone. Uh, we talked about last week how uh, his first imprisonment was one of relative comfort. He was in his own hired house. He probably would have still been kept under constant guard, uh, maybe having to pay for the, the, the constant watch of a guard that was over him. But he was able to come and go. He was able to uh, preach and send letters and meet with people. But in this imprisonment, uh, he would have been kept in uh, dungeon-like conditions. It would have been damp. It would have been dark probably rat infested. He uh, was probably facing uh, exhaustion and hunger and uh, all kinds of physical ailments and things as a result of the conditions that he was in. We saw that he mentioned in verse number 13 that he wanted Timothy to bring the cloak that he had left in, uh, where are you leaving it, Troas? And so he wanted him to bring his cloak that he left in Troas, basically his coat. It was getting ready to go winter. It was already in bad enough conditions and things. And he said, I'm needing at least a little bit of comfort. So I want my coat for the comfort of my body. And I want the scriptures for the comfort of my heart and my mind. And so he says, do your diligence to come to me shortly. I don't have long left to live. I don't have very many people around me. I'd really like to see you one last time before I go. And so that's what he's been talking about here. And so in Verse number 10, uh, we begin with several statements about different people that Paul had been around or ministered with. And we covered some of this a little bit last week. I want to look at it just a little bit more today. But uh, let's look at verse number, I'll go ahead and start with verse number 9 and read through the end of the chapter here. Just to pick up a couple thoughts. But he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable uh, to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, uh, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me, excuse me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Uh, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Prudence, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So as we look at this, there is a lot of names that we mentioned, and this is typical for Paul's writings. This is a letter. Uh, Paul knew a lot of people, and so he always spoke uh, on behalf of people who was nearby, people who he had contact with where he was at, and he spoke to people who was going to be receiving the letter. So we find it from both sides here. Uh, but we started out in there in verse number 10 with Demas hath forsaken me. And I think that's one of the, uh, maybe not necessarily the saddest passages in Scripture, but it is one of the sad passages. And uh, so from what we were looking at last week, just kind of continuing on these thoughts, we saw, uh, we saw um, excuse me, uh, Paul's confidence. We saw his condition. But the third thing that we were after last week and we didn't get to was Paul's caution. Uh, Paul is giving Timothy a, a few things to be wary of, to be careful about. And the main one in this idea of his caution was caution him of Alexander the coppersmith. It says uh, in what, verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, but I believe the caution also would extend down to Demas having forsaken him. And he says the reason why Demas forsook him was having loved this present world. Now, we discussed this a little bit last week, but I want to just kind of get into this idea just a little bit more because sometimes we, uh, sometimes we don't exactly treat Demas the most fairly in this. Okay, We demonize him a little bit and uh, look at him as being the one who was a deserter, being a traitor, that kind of thing. But I don't believe that was the case in Demas's. Uh, I don't believe that was the case in his situation. And I can't necessarily answer for him. I don't know him. I haven't talked to him. And the Bible doesn't say specifically, okay? But we do know a lot about what was going on with Apostle Paul at that time and what was going on at the church. And I told you last week that uh, knowing myself, more than likely, if I was in Demas's position, I probably would have deserted too. And I may have done it quicker than what he did. And the reason I say that is because there was great persecution. There was great difficulties going on. And in that atmosphere, it takes someone of uh, a strong faith and determination to stick it out. Right? So I may have asked this before. I don't know. But what do you all think would be probably the two greatest threats to our Christian faith, to us walking with Christ? What are the two things that will get you off track the fastest? Okay. Pride and bad influence will. That's not what I'm looking for. Pride may be the root of a lot of it. Usually is, right? But I think two of the times that's going to cause us most quickly to be derailed are either times of difficulty or times of ease. Right? 
And I think one is just about as dangerous as what the other is. Because whenever things are going too easy, you don't have to depend upon God and you begin to become self-sufficient. That's where pride comes in, right? You begin to be self-sufficient whenever everything is going smoothly and you're not looking to God, you're not depending on God, your walk with God will start to falter. You're going to be reading less, you're going to be praying less, you're going to be paying less attention to the things of God. God is going to begin to uh, be left out of your thoughts because things are going easy and you can depend upon yourself and the situations around you, right? And so that's something that is going to make us prone to walk away from God. But also with what Demas was going through is difficulty. There were times of persecutions and of struggles and things. And for Demas, Paul says that he loved this present world. And so there is the idea here that if you love the kingdom to come, right? If you set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth, then you will endure, you will continue. But if you get distracted from that and your eyes and your affections turn to this world, then it's going to be hard to continue following God, right? The Bible says that no man can serve both God and mammon. No man can serve two masters. And so what Paul was saying here is with Demas that the difficulties got too much, that the struggles became too difficult. And in all of these things, Demas said, I'm tired of the battle. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the fight. I'm just going to walk away from this and I'm going to do basically what Peter did. I go fishing. And I believe that's what Demas did. He just said, I'm tired of the struggle and I'm just going to lay down the cross and for a while I'm going to go back to whatever I was doing before. And it says here in uh, verse number 10, Demas has forsaken me having loved the present world and is departed to Thessalonica. And I don't know, maybe that was his, uh, maybe that was his uh, hometown. Maybe that was where he was at before, where things were familiar. But for whatever reason, Demas decided that he was going to uh, leave it all behind and go back to somewhere hopefully easier for him. And I believe that this may be the very event that uh, inspired or provoked Paul to pin this letter to Timothy. Because we can find in Colossians and Philemon both that Demas is mentioned as being a fellow laborer of Paul. And he says, Demas is here. He's laboring along beside of me. He is a blessing. He is a help. He is taking part of the ministry. All of these things in two different epistles, he's mentioned doing that. But in this one, he has forsaken him. And so uh, whenever it says that he loved this present world, I don't believe that he was just a Judas. I don't believe that he was constantly... Uh, one foot in the world and one foot in the ministry, I believe that it just started becoming difficult for him, and finally he just stepped away from it. I said last week that I think there's no uh, no coincidence whatsoever that Demas is mentioned in verse number 10, and John Mark is mentioned in verse number 11, because Mark was one who had forsaken Paul before. We know in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas were traveling and that Mark was with them and they came to a place that was particularly dangerous, particularly difficult, and John 
abandoned, or not John, John Mark, Mark abandoned them and abandoned the ministry and left it. But later on, he was ready to join back and Paul wasn't ready to take him in yet, right? And so I think maybe this was a connection that Paul was trying to draw here because Demas uh, decided to walk away, to take a break, to abandon for a little while, somewhat like Peter did, somewhat like Mark did. And I believe that his hope in his heart was for Demas, that Demas would return, that he would come back. Right? I think the thing as well is from man's perspective, we always look at other people like, oh, he's mm -hmm. forsaken him, he's done that to me. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that that person is forsaken God. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that he walked away. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, whatever. I think a lot of times we love to read it back into it. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a chance that he could forsake the ministry and ministering with Paul and not forsake God. But whenever Paul says, having loved this present world, it kind of lets me know that he had made a decision there. But then on top of that, with the point that you were making, uh, there's a couple other names that are mentioned here of people who have left Paul, yeah. but there's no mention of them leaving because they love this present world or anything like that, but because God's led them in a different direction. And so you've got Cretans that went to Galatia and Titus unto Dalmatia. We've got a letter that's written to Titus, and Titus seems to be a good, solid Christian. It seems like he is uh, very rooted, very grounded. And I have full confidence that Titus kept on, that he was faithful and that he uh, was still serving God, but he left Paul. And that's something that I like about this at the end of this chapter, at the end of this book, is that Paul's mentioning all these different people that he has known throughout his ministry, ones that went different directions and things. And even with Demas, it doesn't seem like he is condemning him. He's saying, everyone has forsaken me. And uh, where I was going there a, a few minutes ago, and I kind of lost track, was that I believe part of Paul's inspiration for writing this was because Demas had uh, fell away at least for a season, and he feared that the same thing would happen to Timothy. And it wasn't that he's condemning Demas and saying Demas was, you know, he was a bad egg, he's lost his salvation, or he's done this or that. He's saying... Demas has uh, kind of went off course, at least for a little while, and I don't want Timothy doing that either. And so he's encouraged him all along, keep going, keep going. Don't let the troubles pull you away. Don't let the, the, even the loneliness or the fears or the anxieties or the uh, persecutions, any of, the, any of these things, get you to quit serving God and quit uh, living for God, because he's not even telling Timothy, go where I want you to, to or uh, serve where I want you to, or do what I, he's not taking over the, the Holy Spirit's job in the life of any of these guys, as if he's in charge of them, but he is saying, make sure that you are still serving God even after I'm gone, and so with Demas here, uh, I'm hoping that Demas for lack of better words, got it out of his system. That something happened in that uh, he returned kind of like, uh, as we were talking about there a minute ago, Peter came back to Christ. Yeah, St. Barnabas, mm -hmm. he's, he's 
tell ministry to tell some people like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's good to, that there are people who are willing to take in the the failures and the outcasts and the has-beens and the used-to-bees and all of that. And once again, not condemning any of those, but early in Paul's ministry, he had no no patience for Mark. But it seems almost to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, as if his heart's changed toward Demas now. And he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And so he's cautioning cautioning uh, Timothy, be careful because this is something that is a very real danger. We have no indication whatsoever that Demas was inferior quality. Don't we tend to have a thing, maybe it's just me, in our brain we just think, well, Demas is just one of those ones that was just half in, lukewarm, he wasn't dependable, there was a character flaw, there was something wrong with him somewhere. But that doesn't seem to be the case whatsoever. It is the fact that there are real dangers in our lives as Christians. That's one reason why the Bible says to take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Because we could condemn Demas and say, well, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to finish my course. I'm going to do all of these things. And there are plenty of other people who have said that very same thing and didn't do it. And there are plenty of people who, in their pride and their arrogance, thought they had the Christian life figured out and that there was no way they were going to falter or fail or stumble. Plenty of them that condemned ones who did. And then in time, something happened in their life whether it be difficulties or trouble, or maybe success, because it's not just the difficulties that take you out, it can also be the good things. And thinking of preachers and pastors, for instance, because that's basically what we're looking at with Timothy and Paul and Demas and such. These are men who were in ministry, right? And so if we look at them and say, okay, we have one of them here who was ministering, was serving, and no longer is. Do you think Demas ever had uh, an inkling in his mind? Do you think there was ever a thought in the back of his mind, yeah, I might not make it? you think while he's there serving Paul saying, yeah, I don't know if I have what it takes. I might probably quit at some point in time. That's definitely a good point. And uh, if if we start looking at other people's courses, it's a very good way to get knocked off course, isn't it? Because God knows what we can handle and what we can't. And Apostle Paul could handle Apostle Paul's course. But Demas may not have been the caliber, right? And so if I start looking at other people's Christian walk, if I start looking at other people's lives, if I as a pastor start looking at other pastors in their ministries and start comparing, I'm already well on my way to discouragement and defeat, right? And so that could very well be something that happened with Demas is he started looking at the difficulties Paul was going through and said, I don't know that I'm willing to lay my head down for this. I don't know if I'm willing to lose my head or to be burned at the stake or to be whatever other punishments that were being meted out at that time. Demas may have looked at those things and said, no, nah, I'm, I'm not willing to go that route, right? And so I don't think there was ever a time in Demas's mind that he entertained the idea and thought, no, nah, I probably won't make it. 
I believe if you would have asked Paul, or excuse me, asked Demas, whenever Paul was writing about him in Colossians and uh, Philemon, if you would have asked him then, he would have said, no, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to run well. I'm going to complete this. There's no way that I would turn my back on the Lord. There's no way I would leave the ministry, right? I don't think he was entertaining the idea, but we do find that there are plenty of temptations and that the enemy is subtle, right? That's why the Bible tells us that we have to walk circumspectly. We need to be paying attention to what's going on around us. We need to be uh, checking out what we're tolerating. We need to be checking out what's influencing us. We need to be checking out where we're at with God and where our relationship with him is because we can slowly drift away. There can be other things that get our heart and get our attention because with Demas, it was the world that brought him away from God, right? He may have looked around and saw everybody else seeming to prosper. He may have seen other people that seemed to have it all together and that they weren't suffering. They weren't being persecuted. Uh, they had what they needed. And he says, this Christian thing is just not for me anymore. I would be better off to go and ply my hand at my trade, that I, whatever it was that I worked at before. I'd be better off just to abandon this and go back to the life I used to live. But something happened there somewhere, and it stole his heart away from God. And the caution that's going out from Paul to Timothy and from Paul to us today and from me to you all today is don't ever think that you've got it all figured out. Don't ever think that there is no way that you're going to uh, succumb to temptation or that you're going to uh, be led astray in the way that Demas was because it's only by the grace of God that we stand. It's only by the grace of God that we continue. There is an enemy. There are temptations. And we are made out of flesh. And if we don't stay walking with God and in love with him and seeking after him, we will be the next casualty. Right? And I don't believe any of us are above that. And that's why it's that much more important that we closely guard our Christian life. That's why we have to guard our hearts and our minds. That's why we have to continue seeking after God, being in his word, being instant in prayer, all of these things, because if we aren't, we will be led astray. And I don't know if, I don't know if we fully realize how, how weak we are. I'm saying we, myself included, myself especially, how weak we are because we think that we've got it all under control. We think that we know what's going on. We think we know what's up. But the thing is, the Lord said himself, I believe it was, that without him you could do nothing. And whenever we start depending on ourselves and we start trying to impress God or live this out of our own flesh, we are well on the way to burn out and defeat. And so this is a caution that Paul is giving to Timothy. He says, Demas hath forsaken me. And this may have caught Timothy off guard. He may have known Demas really well, and he probably would have thought, of all people, Demas, I thought that he was going to be one of the ones that was going to stick it into the end. He was going to be the one of the ones who was going to be counted on and faithful. And then that idea of Demas forsaking him, probably thinking, I can't believe that it happened to Demas. And the reason why I say that is because there are plenty of people in my own life that I've heard the news of that they have quit church, they have left, they have 
uh, fell out in sin or whatever going on. And it kind of just hits you between the eyes thinking, I didn't think that it would happen to them, right? And so the point I'm trying to make with all of this is that we need to be careful as Christians because there is, uh, there is an enemy, there is temptations. We do have a flesh that is weak. That's why I preach and teach about temptation. That's why I preach and teach about uh, leaning on God and trusting him and following him and seeking after him. Because if we don't, we, like Demas here, will be led astray for a while. And I can guarantee you uh, that I believe Demas is in heaven, okay? I believe he was a true believer that messed up. There's plenty of those out there. And I believe one of these days, if you get to heaven and you have a chance to talk with Demas, he's going to regret this. Can you imagine this being what you're remembered for in the Bible for couple thousand years after you're dead and gone, people remember you as being the one who forsook Paul and went after the world. That'd be a bummer, wouldn't it? And so Demas probably won't want to discuss this when we get to heaven. He'll be like, yes, I've already talked to a million other people about it. Yes, I messed up, right? But I don't believe that there's anyone who has remained faithful and can say with Paul, that I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. I don't believe that there would be anyone who says that that is going to regret that they finished their course and they kept the faith. But there's going to be plenty of them who have forsaken that says, man, that was a mistake. I wish I hadn't done it. Right? So anyway, that is a caution for Timothy. Make sure that you don't go that route. Make sure something else doesn't get your heart and take you away from God. Uh, the other caution that I wanted to bring out here is in verse number 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. There's two different possibilities who this Alexander can be. He could be the one who uh, stirred up everybody in Ephesus against Paul. You remember where there was an Alexander there and all the people were shouting and they about tore him apart and everything in Ephesus. It could have been him because it was the, uh, uh, the metal workers and whatnot that were upset because uh, everyone was, not everyone maybe, but so many people were becoming Christians and they were no longer uh, worshiping the idols and their entire trade was in building idols and so no one was buying their idols. It was hurting their business, right? And so that's one possibility. But I believe the, the better possibility is in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. Uh, there is two different men, and Alexander is one of them, who Paul says that he had turned over to Satan that he would learn not to blaspheme. Okay? And so considering that was in 1 Timothy, this is in 2 Timothy. I believe that's probably who it was. And so this was a man who uh, claimed to be a believer, but was sowing heresy and false teaching in the church and was misleading other Christians. And Paul had turned him over to Satan that he learned not to blaspheme. Basically, he said, God, you judge him. Uh, do what it takes to get him, uh, either get him out of the way or get him right with you. That was the idea behind it. And now in 2 Timothy, apparently the problem still hasn't been rectified. Apparently, Alexander is still causing problems. And so the reason I bring that out 
is in First Timothy, he says, I turned him over to Satan for Satan to teach him a lesson, right? And as of now, apparently the justice still has not been served or whatever happened, he still hasn't got turned around. And a lot of times in our minds, God takes way too long to mete out justice, right? Whenever he says here, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil, the Lord reward him according to his works. He's already turned him over to Satan. Time has passed. I don't know exactly how much time it has been, but still this guy is still a thorn in his flesh. God hasn't taken care of him yet. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where it's like, God, why haven't you dealt with this person? Why haven't you fixed this? Why haven't you uh, intervened in this situation yet? Well, God doesn't work by our timetables and not always in the way that we expect him to. But God's ways and his timing is perfect and it is right. And so in this idea here with Alexander the coppersmith, a couple, I, a couple thoughts to take from this is Paul didn't seek to go out and teach Alexander a lesson. He didn't go out and challenge him or try to set him straight. He didn't go out and try to uh, even things out or seek revenge or any of these things. But instead, he says, I'm leaving it up to God to take care of him. Okay? He says, the Lord reward him according to his works. Because whenever we try to fix things, when we try to seek revenge, when we try to uh, straighten somebody out, what happens? Any suggestions? What happens when we try to do it? Make it worse. We make a mess, right? Have you ever tried to straighten out some of these things or seek revenge or try to set someone straight? What ends up happening is you end up making a bigger mess than you started with. What ends up happening is you hurt people who weren't even a part of the problem to begin with. You'll end up losing your own testimony and your own reputation in the whole process. You will mete out justice that is unjust, right? You ever watch it uh, evolve into like a tit-for-tat scenario where they did you wrong, so you're going to, you know, eye for an eye, right? And so you're going to get them back and then back and forth and back and forth, and it gets bigger and bigger. It escalates. It gets worse, right? And so whenever we try to exact justice, whenever we seek revenge on ourselves here, uh, what ends up happening is we make a mess. We hurt people who were not even a part of the problem to begin with. We harm our own testimony, harm our own selves, and we harm the other person. And in addition to all of those things, we end up uh, really damaging any kind of work that God might be doing in that situation. Because God's ways are perfect and just and right. And so in this situation, it's very possible that God is working something around to get a hold of Alexander's heart and to set him right. And if Paul or Timothy would 
uh, unwisely go and meddle in there rather than leaving it to God to deal with, they could completely cut him off for in, from any uh, blessings and benefits that God has in store for him later on, right? And so we could go back and we could look at uh, Mark as an example. We've already talked about him a little bit. Uh, had everybody just cast Mark aside and said, okay, Mark, you messed up, we're done with you, and just completely blackballed him and made him an exile back whenever he abandoned Paul and Barnabas, what would have happened to Mark? He would have quit, right? But because there was a Barnabas that was long-suffering and was allowing God to do a work in the heart of Mark, Mark later become profitable, right? Hopefully the same thing happens with Demas, and maybe the same thing will happen with Alexander. And so continuing on with this idea through this, it still seems to me that Paul is not necessarily accusatory. He's not uh, demonizing Alexander. He says, yes, he did me much evil, but I'm going to leave it to God to sort him out. Okay? And just because I'm saying here and that Paul's saying here to take the realm of or the road of uh, passivity, it doesn't, uh, he doesn't leave us to be unwise or stupid about it either. Because you look at verse number 15. He says in verse 14, God will take care of him. I'm not going to mess with him. But in verse number 15, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. He says, although I'm not going to go out and seek revenge or try to uh, set him straight, he says, I'm still going to be very cautious, very careful of him. And I want to advise Timothy, you beware of him because he's created a lot of problems for me. He'll create lots of problems for you. Leave it to God to straighten him out, but keep an eye on him as well. Right? And so that's a, a balanced approach to it, isn't it? And so we see... Uh, Paul's caution there. Now I want to look at uh, Paul's comfort there, starting in verse number 16. He said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be made, made me, excuse me, might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles may hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So in those two verses, he said, all men forsook me. He said, I was there to stand in my own defense. Uh, basically, this is whenever he was being indicted. He was being brought before the courts. His uh, charges were being brought out before him. He was defending himself of these charges. And he was there by himself. Everyone else was afraid to stand with him. Everybody else was afraid to be seen with him. Nobody was willing to stand up and defend him. And that would have been a difficult place. That would have been a lonely place, right? To be abandoned by all. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who had given his entire life for the preaching of the gospel, for seeing people saved. He had uh, led multitudes to the Lord. He had discipled so many people. He had cared for so many, uh, taken up offerings and taken collections to different places and met needs and all these things for people. And then whenever he was in need... 
he was by himself. Spent his entire life pouring into others, and then whenever he was in need, he was left alone. And what was his response? Was it bitterness, anger, hate, rage? No. Instead, there was a tenderness and an understanding, wasn't there? He says at the end of verse number 16, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. He says, God, don't hold it against them just because they didn't stand with me. I've said this before, but we find here a lot different Paul than whenever God first met him on the Damascus Road. Remember how he was breathing out threatenings and curses against all of the people who worship Christ at first? And now he says, I've poured my life into others, and I realize that they are but weak and sinful men just like me. And yes, I'm going into this judgment hall. I'm facing these uh, charges. I'm facing these men, and nobody will stand with me. But that's okay. I understand why they're afraid. It's okay. I realize that this is a difficult time. God, don't hold it against them just because they abandoned me during this time. Do you see the amount of growth that's happened in Apostle Paul? I'm not saying that necessarily that we should artificially put this kind of a, a mindset on or try to pretend like we're this good. Do you realize how difficult it would be to stand in that position and say, God, don't hold it against them? You know the one other time that I can find in Scripture of this occurring? On the cross. See, this is the thing. He has served God long enough. God has done a work in him. The Holy Spirit has done a work in him and completely transformed Paul to where, as we're reading this letter, he is extremely Christ-like. Y'all realize that? And so this is an example of what Christ can do in our hearts and our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit can do. Not what we can do ourselves, not what we can put on, not what we can make ourselves out to be, because honestly, it doesn't matter how much you try, how good of an actor you are. If this isn't truly the character that the Holy Spirit has put in you, if you were in the position that Paul was in, you would not be able to do that. When it comes down to something like that, you can't fake it. Does that make sense? It has to be real. Whenever you are there and you get to the place where you have poured your entire life into other people, and then all of those other people forsake you, and yet you still love them. Right? The only way you can do that is by the grace of God. And this is what he has done. And he says, no one stood with me. Don't hold it against them. In verse number 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. He says, maybe everyone else forsook me, but the Lord will never forsake me. He says in another place, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This is what he's getting down to, right? The Lord stood with me, and not only did he stand with me, he strengthened me. And so he had walked with God long enough to where he could face these situations and be at peace with them, that he could be forsaken by others and still be forgiving, and that he could go in these situations and lean on God, know that he was present with him, and receive the grace to help in the time of need, right? To get that strength that he needed from God. 
And he says that there was a purpose for it as well. Not only did God give me the strength that I need, but he saw the purpose behind it. He says that by me, the preaching might be fully known. He says, God has brought me here and he has a purpose for my suffering. And while I'm standing here before these people who are accusing me and going to end up killing me, it gives me another chance to share the gospel with them. I mean, that's pretty incredible too, isn't it? Paul goes before most likely even the, the Caesar, the emperor at that time, if he had a chance to stand before him, and I believe he probably did, he wasn't there begging for his life or pleading for mercy or trying to argue his case. He says, okay, God, you've brought me to this place so I have an opportunity to be a witness before these people. And he stands before them and he shares the gospel. What did he do whenever he was in front of Festus and Agrippa and uh, the other guy that I believe started with an F? Felix. Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. All three of them preached the gospel to him, right? And he said, everyone else may have abandoned me at that time whenever I had the opportunity to, to speak for myself, but God was with me. He gave me the strength that I needed that I might be able to make the preaching of the gospel fully known to the Gentiles. And he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I believe he's using this in a figurative way. And he's talking about being delivered away from uh, uh, Caesar at that time. So Nero would have been the one in charge, and he was definitely a lion-like man. He was vengeful. He was angry. He was constantly um, pursuing, relentlessly pursuing after all the Christians trying to kill them. And he says, God is delivering me out of the hand or out of the mouth of the lion. He says, it doesn't matter what happens to me here. God has it all in control. That whatever happens to me, is going to be a result of what God allows in my life. He says, I'm not going to be uh, taken down because of their power or their ability, but I'm here just as long as God wants me here. And so we get to verse number 18. He says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. So he says, God is going to take care of me, keep me alive just as long as he wants me to be alive on this earth. And whenever he is done with me down here, he is going to take me to live with him forever and ever. And that's the idea here behind God preserving him. He says, it's not because of my good works. It's not because of my clean living. It's not because of the message I preach or because of the church I attend or because of any ritual that I went through that I'm going to get to heaven, but he says, God is going to keep me. And what a reassurance that is that I don't keep me, that I'm not in charge of my own salvation, but that God is, right? And so the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. No matter what Caesar does, no matter how I go out of this life, God's got my life in his control. And so we come down to verse number 19, and we get kind of like the final greetings here, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. He says, salute Prisca and Aquila. This is Priscilla and Aquila. We hear about them often. We see them several times throughout Scripture. Salute Prisca and Aquila, the household of 
Onesiphorus, we saw him mentioned earlier. Uh, Erastus abode at Corinth. But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. I think that's interesting that Paul had someone in his party, someone that was traveling with him, that got sick. And guess what Paul didn't do? He didn't heal him. This is something that's easily skipped over, easily missed. But early in Paul's ministry and early in the apostolic ministry, they had the ability to heal, right? But here at the end of Paul's life, toward the end of the apostolic ministry, as the scriptures are being completed, this is Paul's last letter, right? Paul no longer has the ability to heal poor Trophimus, right? So he said, I had to leave this guy behind at Miletum sick. And so we see the cessation of the apostolic gifts, don't we? Right. And that's the thing with, with everyone. There comes a time for all of us to die. And if we get this idea that uh, every sickness is a result of sin or every rough situation or bad circumstance in our life is a punishment in some way, that is extremely bad theology because look at all the things that befell Paul. Look at the other apostles who were martyred for the faith. Look at poor Trophimus here who got sick. And if your theology says that God's going to keep you from having anything bad happen to you unless you sin, or you're never going to get sick unless it's sin, then you've got a really messed up theology. Right? And people will fall into that. It's kind of easy. You can look at Job's friends. Job's friends said, the reason all these bad things happen to you is because you sinned. And that's the entire purpose of, uh, maybe not the entire purpose. It's part of the purpose of Job is showing that bad things don't necessarily just happen because we have sinned, right? But sometimes it is to grow us, to teach us. Sometimes it's just a normal part of life, right? And so... With Trophimus, I believe this is an example showing us that the apostolic signs were ceasing. Paul didn't just heal him up. I don't believe Trophimus did anything to deserve to be sick. It's just part of being human and being a human in a sinful, sin-cursed world. Sickness and death is part of it. Right? Paul being beheaded, it wasn't because he made a mistake or because he sinned or he went the wrong direction. But instead, this is just part of being in a sin-cursed world. But we have nothing to fear in death because if we are Christ, we can face it with confidence like Paul did, knowing that we are going to be with Christ, that he is going to hold us fast, that he is going to keep us secure, he's going to preserve us. And so I just wanted to, to mention there with Trophimus that uh, that is an example where Paul didn't heal him. And I don't believe he had the ability to anymore. Uh, verse 21, do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Uh, grace be with you. Amen. And so as we see this whole list of names here, 
Paul throughout his ministry, throughout his life, throughout his time being a Christian, continued to accumulate family, really. Accumulate friends, more and more people. And everywhere he went, there were people who were near and dear to him. Everywhere he wrote to, there were people that he greeted that were near and dear to him. And we see how this Christian family expands and really it encompasses the world. And so Paul had friends, had companions, had family scattered all over that as he sat there in the dark in his prison in that dungeon, he could remember conversations. He could remember meals that were shared. He could remember different circumstances they went through. He could remember times discipling and teaching. He could remember when people came to the Lord. He could remember all of these different people in his life, and they were all precious to him. And the reason I bring this out is that Paul, over and over again, shows us that people were important, that he wasn't above all of them. He wasn't uh, as if he didn't need any of them, but constantly he was amassing more and more people in his group, in his family. And I believe one of the reasons why he was able to mention all these people is because he was constantly in prayer for them. And so they were an encouragement to him, and he was praying for them. And I just see this as a beautiful picture of what the Christian life should be, that yes, there are difficulties that we face, but whether you're lost or you're saved, there's going to be difficulties. Uh, but whenever there's difficulties that we face, we can lean on one another. We can be encouraged by one another. And we are gaining more and more friends and family. It doesn't matter if uh, they're here or if they're in another country. It doesn't matter if... Uh, really, doesn't matter even if they speak the same language as us. But we have Christian family all around this world that God is putting together, that he's building. And in a way, I think Paul was mentioning all these people, thinking about how sweet heaven is going to be. Paul was just getting ready to cross over the other side. He was getting ready to go to heaven, and he knew as he was greeting all these people, it was just a short amount of time before he was going to see them once again in glory. He's looking forward to that re, that reunion, that uh, coming together where there is no parting, there is no separation. And so he's thinking warmly of all these different people. And I just bring this out as an encouragement for all of us that the body of Christ is a huge family. We've got folks all around this world, and you all have experienced that we've experienced it. We go to different places and we run into fellow Christians and it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And so Paul's mentioning, he's reading all these people. And so anyway, um, that brings us to the end of 2 Timothy. But in this book, what we've seen is he's instructed Timothy to keep going, for him to finish his course. He told him not just to uh, finish, but to do well, to excel at it. Uh, he's given him all kinds of encouragement along the way in this Christian life because he wasn't going to um, he wasn't going to be there with Timothy forever. He wanted to see Timothy finish his course. 
So just the final thoughts on this. He's telling him, be faithful in service. Be firm on the word. Be fearless in trials. Be forgiving of others. And most of all, be fervent in your love and your dependence on God. And so really that's the message of 2 Timothy. He's passing the baton. He says, I'm getting ready to lay down my life. Continue running your race well, and I'll see you when you get to heaven. So with that, does anyone have any questions or comments, anything to add tonight? Not sure where we're going to next. Be praying for me as I'm trying to figure that out and decide. But uh, I've enjoyed going through these letters to Timothy and just kind of peeling back and seeing Paul's heart a little bit in this. Uh, anyway, if there's nothing else. Let's go ahead. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. We'll call it a night. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you so much for the, the day that you've given us. And Lord, we just pray. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord, and I pray that we've learned from it. I pray, Lord, that you just help us, Lord, to uh, to stay stand steadfast, Lord, not allow uh, the allure of this world to uh, draw us aside. Lord, help us, Lord, just to continue serving you. Lord, that we can run our course and complete it, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. And all we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.